And the last two verses, but particularly the last verse, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. At the conclusion of this morning's service, we will sing Psalm 31D, which ends with this rendering of the psalmist's words, So then be strong and steadfast, and let your heart be brave, all you who wait with patience. Wait on the Lord to save. There's both a command to be strong, but there's also an encouragement that as we strengthen our hearts, God will give us courage and bravery. There are many times as God's children when we face frightening circumstances on our journey heavenward. In those moments, our Savior and Lord Jesus longs to take our hand in His, as it were, encouraging us to trust Him and to be brave. It is the Spirit of Christ who inspired King David to compose these words, preparing the Psalms for us to sing, primarily in our union with Christ. For as he sang these psalms and recalled them even on the cross, in our union with him, in our fellowship of suffering with him, he teaches us to sing with him. I remember when our children were little, my wife and I would often take the psalm book and point to the words as they were learning to read. And I think of Jesus, my elder brother, standing beside me as We are singing these psalms, pointing to these words and saying, just as I waited, just as I was courageous, so you too can be courageous because God is faithful. Not long ago, before she passed into glory, Isla May, my mother-in-law, was sitting in her physician's waiting room. A young boy engaged her in conversation. He too was waiting. In his case, He was about to have x-rays or some other scary medical procedure. He admitted to being a bit afraid. So Isla kindly encouraged him to be brave. As the boy left his mother to follow the nurse down the hallway, Isla heard him quietly repeating the phrase, I'm brave. I'm brave. I'm brave. This Brief encounter with a courageous little boy strengthened her in the months to come, for she was facing the frightening reality of a much more momentous appointment, her appointment with death. She too would often turn to the Lord and recite the words, I'm brave. Yes, Christ strengthened her to valiantly overcome fear in order to trust the Lord to escort her safely into his eternal kingdom. In difficult moments since then, my wife Gay and I have occasionally recalled this and have looked at each other with a glimmer of hope in our eyes, encouraging each other to be brave. As a mother, Gay would often comfort and encourage our little ones with words from Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. Verse 4 continues, In God... In God, I will praise his word. In God, have I put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can flesh do unto me? When tucking me into bed at night as a child, my own mother 
taught me to trust in the Lord for protection. As many children have done, I memorized this popular bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Another version ends this way. If I should live for other days, I pray thee, Lord, to guide my ways. And still another. May the angels watch me through the night and keep me in their blessed sight. Interestingly, this children's prayer from the 18th century, first written by Joseph Addison, echoes the sentiment of Psalm 31.5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have, re- you have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. We're told that either before Jesus' time or after, this became a popular bedtime prayer. And a prayer on deathbeds as well. Into your hand I commit my spirit. For you see, every time we lie down to sleep, and rise again in the morning, we are acting out a little drama of our own Savior's death and resurrection and our hope of bodily resurrection. I learned that from John Calvin years ago. Because of this message of redemptive hope, I delight to sing the final words of Psalm 31d. So then be strong and steadfast and let your heart be brave. All you who wait with patience, wait on the Lord to save. Let's think together for a moment about the meaning and practical applications of this verse for King David, for Christ Jesus, and for you and me. The distinguished Greek translators of this psalm who labored in the centuries just before Christ and his apostles included a word in their title which means astonishment, terror, alarm, or extreme fear. We can understand and identify with the psalmist in his panic and fright. But it's harder for us to to see that in Jesus and we'll come to that in a moment. We certainly can imagine circumstances in David's life where he might cry out in alarm. Psalm 31, verses 21 and 22 record this, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Our Psalter renders this nicely. Besieged once like a city, I faced the enemy. I said when filled with panic, I'm cast out from your sight. But still you heard my pleading when I cried out in fright. David's bravery was legendary as a youth. Faced with Goliath, he he declared to King Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. 
And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. But there were moments later on in his life when Saul was pursuing him and when Absalom and Ahithophel betrayed him that his heart was filled with panic and fear, even tainted with sin. C.H. Spurgeon wisely commented, Some have thought that the occasion of his troubled life which led to this psalm was the treachery of the men of Keilah, and we have felt much inclined to this conjecture. But after reflection, it seems to us that its very mournful tone and its allusion to his iniquity demand a later date, and it may be more satisfactory to illustrate it by the period when Absalom had rebelled and his courtiers were fled from him while lying lips spread a thousand malicious rumors against him, foreshadowing the, the murmuring and the, and the whispering against Christ himself. It is per, perhaps quite well that we have no settled season mentioned, or we might have been so busy in applying it to David's case as to forget its suitability to our own. And I might add, as to forget its chief reference to Christ's troubled life and afflictions. In any case, King David experienced, because of his real union with Christ, a fellowship of suffering with our Savior. And through marvelous deliverances in times when he was filled with panic and when he cried out in fright, he not only foreshadowed Christ's agonies, but could indeed encourage all who wait with patience to wait on the Lord to save. For as David experienced it, he, he saves indeed. God is faithful and merciful. In this season of my preaching ministry, I often meditate long on a verse or even a phrase of Scripture, like a jeweler admiring a sparkling multifaceted gemstone. I take a long, admiring look at a verse perfectly cut and polished by our divine master jeweler. Psalm 31:24 is composed of six words in Hebrew. The first two are verbs commanding and exhorting us to be brave and to show strength. We who are waiting for the Lord to deliver us certainly need this encouragement. Under divine inspiration, David composed Psalm 31 during his lifetime and in real life-threatening circumstances. However, according to Peter, to some degree, he understood that he was ultimately testifying beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To him, along with the other Old Testament prophets, it was revealed that not to themselves but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So what then does this psalm mean for Christ? And how did he appropriate it, practically speaking, during his life of suffering? 
If we forget that God the Son became flesh and blood, really and truly human in nature, as well as divine in nature, we might easily reject notions of him experiencing genuine panic and fright, albeit without sin. And yet this is fundamental to our faith. Psalm 88b, stanza 9 in our book of Psalms for Worship, expresses words inspired by the Spirit of Christ, which prepared Jesus to use them. From youth, I've been distressed, about to die. Your terrors I have borne, distraught was I. Your burning anger over me has passed, your terrors all have cut me off at last. Dare we imagine Jesus during childhood awakening with night terrors to be comforted by his mother? Did he know terrifying premonitions of his destiny? He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This suggests that in his emotional life, Jesus was impacted by the horrors of our iniquities, yours and mine. The Bible is filled with examples of godly men and women waiting for the Lord to bring deliverance and resolution to trials in their lives. Abraham waited 25 years for God to fulfill his promise in the birth of Isaac. Naomi waited over 10 years before she saw the wonder of God's mercies and redemptive love in the provision provision of a kinsman redeemer for her daughter-in-law Ruth. You've been waiting years and years, I'm sure, for God to bring about deliverance in some fashion or another. Psalm 31 was surely a comfort to Jesus, for he waited, you might say, 33 years for that deliverance that came on the cross when he cried, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and was gloriously resurrected and ascended to take his place at the Father's right hand. Psalm 31 was surely a comfort to him and are truly his words of encouragement to you and to me. We see him in an agony of soul praying in Gethsemane. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He truly longed for the comfort in knowing that his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, were watching and praying with him. How grieved he must have been that, he could, that they could not watch with him for even an hour. Instead, overwhelmed with their own grief, they fell asleep on the watch. We learn from the epistle to the Hebrews that in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Even Jesus went through the process of learning, patiently waiting upon the Father to accomplish his purposes in redemption. Luke, the physician, carefully researched the life of Christ and wrote an orderly account that we might know the certainty of those things 
in which we were instructed, he declared as truth that in the garden, Jesus being in an agony, prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. I. Howard Marshall, in his New Testament Greek commentary, highlighted our Savior's final prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He noted, rarely would a crucified man, after hours on the cross, have the strength to cry out in such a loud voice. This illustrates, in my opinion, his divine and spirit-anointed strength in the accomplishment of our redemption. Luke affirms that after three hours of dreadful darkness, thick darkness, and dereliction, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. We must remember, however, that Jesus never sinned in his expressions of emotion. I believe that he identified with our panic and anxiety, which we often express sinfully. We are one with him in fellowship with his suffering and he with us in ours. Yet in crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no sinful doubting or panic in his heart. However real the fright was that had come over his soul. He constantly trusted and knew that his father was well pleased with him, even as he was crying out on the cross. He was bearing our iniquities and atoning for our sins. He feels deep compassion for the lost and possesses a sinless rage against death and its devastating impact upon us. Again, from Hebrews, we read, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and released those who, suffer, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Note carefully what Paul proclaimed in Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came in sinless, unfallen human flesh, which was experienced all through his life as under the curse on our behalf. In 1912, B.B. Warfield published an excellent treatise which helped me immensely in the early years of my Paschal ministry. Not that my years in the Paschal ministry began in 1912, mind you. It is titled, On the Emotional Life of Our Lord. Happily, it is soon to be available again by Crossway Publishers in the Crossway Short Classic Series. 
in his penetrating analysis, Warfield has given us a biblically accurate and balanced portrait of the genuine emotional experience of Jesus in this world during his redemptive mission to seek and to save his lost sheep. <coughs> this great teacher concluded that when we observe him exhibiting the movements of his human emotions, we are gazing on the very process of our salvation. In his sorrows, he was bearing our sorrows. And having passed through a human life like ours, he remains for able, for, forever able to be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. Well, finally, let's take a moment to reflect on a few implications for you and me. Jesus knows even better than King David that his father is always faithful to keep his promises. And because he himself experienced wonderful deliverances in moments of frightening crisis, most notably on the cross, he, along with King David, encourages us in our afflictions and difficult times when we must wait patiently for the Lord to deliver. Specifically, he exhorts us to show strength and to let our hearts be brave as we wait for the Lord to deliver us. That uh, verse in Hebrew brings out this challenge to let our hearts be brave and to strengthen ourselves in the face of, of these afflictions. In Young's literal translation, he renders that verse, Be strong, and he strengtheneth you, your heart, all ye who are waiting for Jehovah. I think he's captured there something that is worth reflecting on. We're to be strong, we're to be brave, we're to let our hearts be brave, but as we do that, we will be strengthened supernaturally with the spiritual strength that we need to face our trials. H.C. Leupold, the beloved 20th century Lutheran commentator, wrote, God's help is seldom immediately forthcoming. Strength consists in being able to wait till the time comes when it pleases God to send his help. I was reading recently commentary on Psalm 130 by John Owen and the massive portion of that commentary is on verse 4 where the psalmist discovers the gospel truth that there is indeed forgiveness with God. Crushed by the weight of his own iniquity and sin, he is overwhelmed with joy to know that there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. In commenting on that verse, he cites the gospel witness, ironically, the gospel witness of Elihu, that miserable comforter to Job, who, although misguided, was inspired in what he wrote that was recorded in Scripture. Elihu spoke inspired truth, although he lacked Job's integrity before God. Unwittingly, Elihu, in Job 33, 11 and 24, sketches out the gospel in a picture of a man on death's row, and the inexpressible joy of a last-minute reprieve. 
He put my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Then he is gracious and says, Deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. You may be waiting for a, a dear loved one to come to Christ, as Jeff told us this morning. You may, you may have been waiting for years and years. But you've put your trust in the Lord. God is able to awaken sinners to their own sinfulness and iniquity and with horror to turn to Christ with joy knowing that He bore our iniquities, that there is forgiveness with God. Listen to Christ's exhortation. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart all you who hope in the Lord. We too should encourage one another. And we do this by gathering on Lord's Days. We do this by being in the Word, by praying, by encouraging one another with our testimony, telling others how God has delivered us or how we've witnessed deliverance. This is important in our own walk with Christ. I like to pray Paul's prayer from Ephesians. He gives a prayer report in two parts there in in, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 3. The second part comes in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And he says, I bend my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. And he goes on to, in a telescoping way, to mention three aims or goals. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. For, for Christ to dwell in our midst and in our hearts, the Shekinah glory of God is a glory too great to bear. We need to be strengthened for that. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, but also that we may, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, to, to contemplate this great love of God for us sinners in our redemption. But finally, that, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we are courageous and strong in the Lord. But we need to be strengthened for that. As Paul said to the uh, Philippians in his own trial and struggle, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so can you. So let your hearts be brave. And the Lord will strengthen you to face whatever trial you're facing. And if you don't know Christ, if you've not come to to surrender to Him, as we heard this morning about Jeff's brother. Be brave. God can reconcile you and wash away all your sins.